Episode 9 of Basement Combo starts now. Welcome back to episode nine of Basement Combos. We got Steve here today, and we got Tyler Smith here today. He is our guest, and he is familiar with the podcasting system. He has his own podcast, and he focuses on none other than baseball, and that's what we have him here today for. Tyler, how we doing? I'm doing well, guys. It's uh, very cold out today. It's uh, the wind's been nailing me in the face, as uh, some of you might know. I think Dave probably have similar weather. Steve, maybe the same, but I'm all warm now. I'm excited to talk baseball. For anyone who doesn't know, uh, originally, we were going to do this podcast, three of us, me, David, and Steve, and kind of realized that I'm only good at talking about baseball and some of the other sports I lack knowledge in compared to these guys. But regardless, I've been wanting to come on the podcast for a while, and yeah, I'm excited to talk to you guys and talk about baseball more importantly. Yeah, definitely. We had Tyler on the show, I mean, today, just because like me and Steve definitely know our fair share of baseball, but Tyler knows a lot more than us. Just not even, Me and Steve know a lot of Yankees mess, but we don't know the rest of the league compared to what he knows, so we're glad to have him today. Steve, how are we doing down in West Virginia? Nice and snowy down here in West Virginia, but you know, we're, uh, we're hanging in there as usual. And like Tyler was saying, uh, this podcast was originally supposed to be with all three of us. Um, so over the summer, we'll definitely have more of that being implemented once you know the baseball season gets going. And it's easier in person to get all that done, but um, you know, hanging in there for now. Definitely. So we're going to start off with the Mets today and previewing what their season is going to look like this year as a whole. But let's backtrack a little bit. Tyler, let's talk about their signings that they had so far this year. What do you think? So they weren't really in a position to sign a lot of players. Well, technically they should have been, but the way the Mets operate, they kind of had their roster set and most of their guys returned that they needed to return. Lost someone like Todd Frazier, who we have Jeff McNeil and J.D. Davis can play third base every day for us now. The biggest thing was they brought in Dellen Batances, a very important signing for them because, like I've been talking about before, the bullpen was horrendous for the Mets last year. It's basically the main reason they weren't in the playoffs because their lineup was good, their starting pitching was pretty good. So they strengthened that bullpen for sure. A little bit of a question mark around Batances just because he's coming off of an Achilles injury. I think he might have pitched in like a couple games last year for the Yankees. But aside from that, they brought in Rick Porcello. They brought in Michael Waka. And people kind of laugh at that just because, you know, Michael Waka and Rick Porcello, they're not going to be difference makers in a team that's on the fringe of making the playoffs. But those are veterans, and those are guys who are going to stabilize that rotation. And I think Steve can attest to this. We've had our fair share of games where we've seen the Mets throw out guys like Tyler Pill or just any of these random starters that don't deserve to be starting in Major League Baseball games for a team that's contending. So they're adding needed depth to that Mets bullpen. So while I would have liked to see uh, a couple other moves maybe, I will say that I'm pretty proud of what Brody's done, and I think this is going to be a good team going into 2020. Steve, what do you have to say about that? Yeah, uh, just to back up on that, you know, um, I I, I love the addition of Dylan Patances, to be honest, even though he's coming off an injury. Um, I I still think that'll help our bullpen. That was one of our main concerns coming into this year as of because of last year of how terrible that was. Um, Lugo is coming back. He still wants to be a starter, but he's going to remain in the bullpen for now. He had a pinky toe injury. Which, how does that even happen as a pitcher? But it Don't seems like he'll be okay. And yeah, who knows? Seems like he'll be okay in uh, the coming next few days. He'll get thrown again. Um, yeah, the over under for the win total I saw was 86 and a half. I mean, I'd, I would take that over and be optimistic about this season just because I feel like they do have a lot of talent. But yet again, in Como, they've been such a history with in the past. Um, and they already have a few brewing. Uh, in spring training as it is, so we'll see what happens. Yeah, to attest to what you guys were saying, mostly what Tyler was saying, is I look at these signings that they had in the offseason and you look at it as low low risk, not a lot of money, and high reward. Someone like Porcello who has had great seasons in the past, I think Waka can be one of those players that can start if you need him to, if there's injuries within the starting rotation, and then obviously he can work out of the bullpen. And then I think Batances is a great signing coming off an injury. I mean, yeah, absolutely. It's just... The thing is, that Mets bullpen was so bad, regardless of whether Dylan Batances pitched 10 innings or however few innings it was last year, or if he pitched, you know, like 30, 40, 50 games, the Mets need that bullpen help. And I think for a while, we were all kind of waiting for the Mets to grab that bullpen piece. There were guys like Blake Trinan who went off the market, who uh, the Dodgers might have picked up somebody like that. And we were waiting for the Mets to get somebody in that bullpen, and I'm glad they did. I'm glad they didn't go after those trade 
bullpen pieces like Josh Hader was a name that was kind of thrown around because, which we'll get to later, the Brewers are a team that's in a weird spot right now. I didn't want the Mets to trade for somebody in the bullpen just because last time they did it, it really blew up in their face. And whether that's going to be Diaz for the rest of his career in New York, it's yet to be determined. But I'm glad they went out and spent the money on Batanzas. And I think regardless of what happens, he's going to help them a, a good amount. Tyler, what do you see with the possibilities of the f- players that are on the fringe of making the bullpen, such as like a Gazelman or a Chase and Shreve or a Tyler Bashler? Well, Chase and Shreve, I have no opinion on other than the fact that uh, Yankees fans have made him out to be one of the biggest memes in baseball. Uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know much about him. And uh, he came in and he didn't do too well in his first spring training appearance. As for the other guys, Robert Gazelman is... He came up in 2016, and he actually helped us a lot in that playoff push when we got that wild card spot, and Familia blew it. We won't talk about that. He was big there. Obviously, Lugo was too. I think Gastelman is more suited for the bullpen just because we've seen him there in uh, the past couple years. And another thing that's coming out of Mets camp is Steven Matz has always been like our number four starter. And right now, from what we've heard from Mets camp is that Rick Porcello was already slotted in as our number four. So that number five starter is between Waka and Steven Matz. And the problem with Matt's the past couple of years is he's just had atrocious first innings. There was a start in Philly a year or two ago where I think he gave up eight or nine runs before recording an out. Might have recorded one out. But we're starting to see that the Mets, who are typically never analytic, are actually pushing towards that that trend in baseball. They might use an opener for Steven Matz and they might start him in the second inning. But I think the big thing we're going to see is it's either going to be Steven Matz or Michael Waka in that fifth spot, and they're going to battle it out, which is always good because competition kind of gets the guys going and makes them actually compete for a spot, whereas Matz kind of maybe hasn't had that motivation because he's always had that spot handed to him. So I think the big thing is whether Waka's the five or Steven Matz is the five, and obviously the other guy's going to go to the bullpen. So that's something that'll I guess they'll make the decision based on spring training, which is exciting. Definitely. Um, now that Tyler attested to the bullpen, Steve, what do you think of the frontline starters, such as a DeGrom, Syndergaard, and Stroman? What are you looking for this year in them? Yeah, so Syndergaard kind of regressed last year. He struggled a little bit. Uh, DeGrom, you know, he's going to keep – I hope he continues to do his thing. He proved last year he still has it. So um, going into this year, I don't have, I'm don't. i not really worried about him. I'm more worried about Syndergaard and Stroman, who were kind of inconsistent at times. I think Stroman will have a much better year than last year. I feel like him uh, coming to the Mets later in the season through trade – um, kind of, I mean, that, it's, it can be difficult for anyone to transition to New York that quickly. Um, so I think, I think it'll actually be pretty decent this year. He needs a, you know, Tyler hates his whole height over heart uh, thing. He thinks he just, I, I, just I, I wouldn't say thing, I but. hate it. It's more of sometimes it's overdone. It's like it's cool. I, I can understand realize that. that yeah, that you're uh, you got your back up against the wall, but I just want to see Strowman pitch. As long as he's pitching well, man, do whatever the hell you want. Yeah, no, exactly. I agree with that. Like he's, he's, you know. Small fiery guy, you know, he can throw a heater, but I, I think he'll, I think he'll improve this year from last year, and I would like to see the same from Syndergaard. I just don't know how much we'll get. Um, they're saying the slider was increasing in miles per hour, so that's nice to see. Um, getting back to what it was like two years ago or something like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, the first, first three guys, you, they got to be solid. You can't really have inconsistency from Syndergaard and Stroman um, in order for this team to be a real competitive uh, roster. Yeah, I think you look at the front line of the starting pitching staff with DeGrom, Syndergaard, and Stroman, and you have to think it's top in the MLB, top five. Tyler, would you attest to that or no? I think they're certainly a top five rotation in the MLB. And I looked at a Bleacher Report article the other day, and I believe they were put in as number two, which when you look at the names and you hear the names, I think it makes sense that they're number two in the MLB. The only problem with that I have is Jacob DeGrom has been the best pitcher in baseball the past two years. And then Syndergaard's last very good season, 2017, I believe, he had like a three ERA, which is still very good. But Syndergaard's standards, not as good. And Steve said this before, last year he was really off. He was uh, north of a four ERA. And I think when people look at that Mets rotation as a number two rotation in the league, that's assuming Syndergaard is as good as he was in 2016, or at least somewhere in between where he is now. And that's if Stroman has that, just that fiery competitive nature that he always has that we saw in Toronto and that top three is it should be if all those guys perform the way they can that's as good a top three in baseball as you can get but like I said before with the Mets there's always ifs so we'll have to see I watched Syndergaard's first start in spring training he looked good it looked like he had better control of the slider because of the fact that he said last year the baseball was off and that made him feel weird but I think bottom line is as long as Syndergaard and Stroman carry their end of the bargain I think that is definitely a uh, top five rotation in baseball yeah, backtracking a little bit, I definitely think the Dylan Patanza signing is was very good for the Mets. 
But I, I love the Rick Porcello signing. I don't know about you guys. I just really, really? love him. I think he, he's a New Jersey guy, obviously. He went to Seton Hall Prep. He's familiar with the area. I just think that could be, a, as a fifth starter, fourth or fifth starter, I love it. Tyler, what do you think? I I do love it, too. I wouldn't say I love it, but I think it definitely helps. And I was saying this in one of the five podcasts we tried to record before this that got broken up because of the uh, technological difficulties. But I think an underrated move, Dave, like you said, is bringing in Waka and Porcello. We've had starters in the past where guys just – we have guys making starts when we're trying to win baseball games to keep up with the likes of the Nationals and the likes of the Braves. And we have guys like Tyler Pill making starts – and, Steve, I'm sure you could think of a bunch of other guys who shouldn't be starting baseball games. Yeah. But they're just they're just going to add much-needed depth to our rotation where we've always seen the Mets rotation as five guys, and at least one of them gets hurt all the time, it seems like. Last year they remained pretty healthy, but I think, Dave, like you said, good signings just because now Porcello and Walker, we can always rely on those on those guys to start. And even if not, we can get someone like Lugo or Gesellman. So I think... They're built to have some good depth for the first time in a while, which is definitely nice. And you guys got Jacob DeGrom, who's probably the best pitcher in baseball. Maybe there's a debate with one or two other pitchers like a Garrett Cole, but that's really it. So I think you guys are in really good shape with the starting rotation. But let's get to now the infield, the outfield, the catching spot. We'll start with the catching spot. Tyler, what's your opinion on the Mets catching position this year? So Wilson Ramos, I watched him last year and – he was probably – I was so excited about him last year because he was always destroying the Mets. I remember in 2015 when we were really in that uh, pennant race with the Nationals. We were still coming after the Nationals, and there was a series in late August down there. And good old John East was on the mound, and Wilson Ramos took him deep for a grand slam. And I was I always wanted Wilson Ramos because of how good he was, and the Mets were always stuck with that Darno Pawecki uh, platoon and once Wilson Ramos came out here, I was excited. At the beginning of the season, he literally hit everything into the ground. And it was weak ground balls to shortstop. But by the end of the year, he was really starting to hit well. He had so many clutch hits. Uh, he had a home run against the Nationals in one of those series in late August that we were actually at, which was fantastic last year. But, um, yeah, he picked up – he really picked it up at the end of the season. I think he finished 288 hitter. He was only like that 750 to 780 OPS area which i want to see increase a little bit but i think for the most part i think we're sitting well with ramos he has some defensive concerns but overall i like to bat he picked it up in the second half so i'm excited there and steve who can you see as a, a platoon with can you see thomas nito can you see renee rivera who do you see back him up yeah, so first just to build off ramos uh last year there was a report that Syndergaard and ramos didn't like get along Syndergaard didn't like throwing to ramos I saw that Ramos uh, switched off his catching uh, stance, and that they're now on the same page. So hopefully that that continues to be to be good going into the future. Just wanted to get that into. Um, and you said between Thomas Nito and Rene Rivera. Yeah. Correct? I mean, Nito's not really a bat, kind of just a defensive kind of guy. And Rene Rivera, you're, you know, you kind of know what you're getting. He's kinda, um, he's a pretty much a Nito as well. It, I feel like those guys are kind of interchangeable. Tyler, what's your opinion with those two? Yeah, we saw. I believe it was. 2017 maybe where Rene Rivera was the personal catcher for Tomas Nito uh, not for Tomas Nito <laughs> personal catcher that would be fun. for Noah Syndergaard that would be insane but uh, yeah I don't know how it's going to work because we uh, last year management was trying to get Syndergaard to throw to Ramos they needed his bat in there but I, I don't know how it's going to play out just because Nito's not a bat Ploiecki's not a bat uh, not Ploiecki uh, Rene Rivera's not a bat it's really weird. Ramos is going to need rest. Like they rested him at least once a week last uh, season, so I don't really know to be honest. It really just depends on how the pitchers if they prefer anything. But uh, yeah, if Syndergaard is demanding everything, then I guess they have to give it to him anything to help him perform better because we need to see him perform better. But I think it's just a matter of whether they go with the experience of Rene Rivera or the potential upside in Tomas Nito because he's a younger player. So now let's go off to the 53 home run rookie Pete Alonso. I mean, it's a lock. He's going to be playing first base for the Mets this year, obviously. But do we think he repeats what he did last year? In my opinion, I don't, even if we're playing with the same exact juice balls as we did last year. I just think his season last year was crazy. It was like an Aaron Judge rookie of the year type of thing. It's like it's very hard to repeat that. Steve, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like to compare it to the Mahomes sort of theory, like Mahomes putting up his absurd numbers his rookie year. It's almost impossible to repeat. I still think he'll be dominant. Just like comparing to Mahomes once again, he was still dominant. I mean, obviously, he'll fall off on the home run numbers, I would assume, just a little bit. I still think he'll be one of the most dominant hitting first basemen in the league, however. Tyler, what's your opinion on that? 
I think that he's it's like that whole Aaron Judge thing in 2017 yeah, where exactly. he broke the 10 home run record and I don't I honestly don't even know if Judge is ever going to have a season as good as that one he did start, he, he started to strike out a little bit more in 2017 at the second half of the season but I'm a big fan of Judge I just don't know if it's possible to be that good again and I think it's the same with Pete Alonso it's that simple he's going to be one of the two or three best hitters for the Mets as long as he's in that lineup I just think that 53 home runs is a little bit too much to ask, especially because now pitchers have faced him an entire year. They can figure him out. They can exploit his weaknesses. But he's certainly going to produce. I'm not worried about that. I just think 53 home runs is impossible. It's funny. You and me, Tyler, have had discussions in the past. Will Judge repeat what he did his rookie year? And we haven't had arguments, but I guess we've had creative discussions whether you would trade Judge. And we'll get to that in a little bit. But let's go on to second base now. Um, it's Robinson Cano. They're paying him a bunch of money. We can debate whether that trade was good with Edwin Diaz, obviously, last offseason. I'm a huge fan of Robinson Cano, even after he got suspended with uh, PEDs. But I know you guys have a little bit of different opinion on that. Uh, let's start with Steve on this one. What is your opinion on Robinson Cano, and what can what do you think you're going to see with him this year? Yeah, so he's coming off a torn hamstring, I believe, from last year. Uh, it was pretty much a, it was a pretty concerning injury right when he was starting to get hot again in the season. Uh, towards hamstring. Uh, so coming back now, I mean, he's getting a little bit up there in age. We're still paying him a lot of money. Um, you know, he's not the fastest guy. So you pretty much rely on him for, you know, uh, as a big bat in the second base position. So that's that's pretty much what you're looking to get out of him. And hopefully he can stay healthy because he doesn't have – recently he's, he's been injured. He's had, a, like, a broken hand, which he can't control because that's getting hit by a pitch, but the hamstring, et cetera. So that, that's what I'm looking for from Robinson Cano. I mean, he's 37. Tyler, what's your opinion? Yeah, he's up there in age. I was, I think you guys know that I might get a little too excited at some points, but I'm normally optimistic, but at least sensible with expectations as far as the Mets go. And the guy I talk to baseball a lot with Noah, my co-host on Baseball in the Burrows, he understands this and he never paints me as one of those Mets fans who gets way too excited. I was definitely excited for the trade last year just because Cano's been a 300 hitter for his whole career. He hit a lot of home runs and that's something the Mets really needed. Uh, with their offenses in like 2015, 16, 17, 18, there were a little bit of inconsistency there. I thought he was going to bring that. And obviously, as we talked about, but Cano was disappointing for sure. He started off hot. I remember he had a couple home runs in the first series or so against the Nationals, and we thought we were going to get the same Cano we've always had. He tailed off, and what happens with the Mets every season, they play pretty poorly in the first half, and then the second half, things start to click, and it's too late. I remember I was in va- I was on vacation in August and Cano was just heating up. I mean, he was hitting double after double out in PNC Park, and then he tore his hamstring. And from there, it was kind of like that's the point where I realized it was just a throwaway year for him. So he's getting older. I've heard he's changed his routine before spring training, and he's trying to make himself more durable, which is good. I think ultimately we're going to get an improved version over his last year's self, but we'll have to see. I don't think it's fair to say he can get back to that elite best or second best second baseman in the league uh, offensive production but I still think that he has more to give he's been doing it his whole career and I still think he's gonna be productive for the Mets see I you know I'm looking down the Mets roster right now and I just I love their team chemistry um whenever I was hanging out with you guys last year we would seem to be watching the Mets because they were almost in a race towards the end of last season I guess July-ish August before you guys left for college And I just love watching their chemistry. I mean, the Yankees, yes, have chemistry, but they're also winning, so that's different. But I feel the Mets were a really complete team, and they liked each other a lot. Steve, I don't want to. I don't want to cut you off. You were going to say something, but I've said this both on air and off air on radio or podcast. 2019 Mets have been my favorite Mets team that I've ever watched and the 2015 team went all the way to the World Series and I certainly had likable guys you know we saw David Wright kind of play his final part of a season and he hit that big home run in Philly in 2015 in August but there's so many likable guys in this Mets team I mean you have Pete Alonso this team was kind of down and in the dumps and he coined the phrase hashtag LFGM and the team rallied around that. I mean, you have young guys like McNeil. J.D. Davis came out of nowhere. Don Smith produced off the bench last year. We got the best version of Edward uh, of Ahmed Rosario we've seen so far. On top of that, Pete Alonso had 53 home runs. So it, it's 2019, The Mets. that Mets team was my favorite Mets team I've ever watched. I don't know if Steve agrees or not, but I, I certainly agree that's a great point that I think people underrate is the chemistry of this ball club. Steve, yeah, no, you're not, you're not cutting me off at all there. You're 100% correct. I mean, the clubhouse just seemed like it had great energy. And you, like you said, with Alonzo, creating the hashtag LFGM, it seemed like they really just they bonded really well together. And uh, it, was a, it was a fun team in 2019. I don't, I don't know what team I would list as my favorite, but the, you could tell the chemistry between 
all the players was just very good and very high. Sadly, Steve is not a fan of many teams that like to win, so he maybe doesn't yeah. experience it as much as, let's say, me and Tyler do. But as for me, it's like I'm watching this Los Angeles Lakers basketball team this year with LeBron and Anthony Davis and all those guys, and they just have so much chemistry. And it's the same thing with some of these Yankee teams with their winning. They have chemistry. But like the year with – what year was it, Tyler? Was it 2018 with Todd Frazier and the Yankees when they made that run with Joe Girardi? That was, right? 2018. I believe it was 2018, yeah. Or the fall of 2017. Um, yeah, uh, 2018 he was a Met. 2017 was years with the Yankees. That's yeah, what I, I thought. I yeah, I thought 2018 was a Met. Yeah, but yeah. you know what I'm talking about, guys. You there's one. You get like these teams that you know just have so much chemistry, and you want to tune in every game to watch them have fun, and it's like part of the it's the part of the awesomeness. Honestly, it's awesome. Yeah, the it's, Mets are, out of like my the teams I like support. They're definitely the most put together team, and the management still isn't fantastic. So it's like. I mean, you, you take what you can get, but hey, man, uh, definitely—they're definitely like looking trending forward. If I were to say so, definitely. And I'm a Steve talks about—I'm sure he talks about the Knicks a lot on the podcast. I'm a fraction of the Knicks fan that Steve is. I watch <laughs> them when I can, but you could just tell that's a team, despite their losing, that they—they they look like they don't have fun when they're playing. I mean, you got when you got Julius Randle iso ball in the paint, and you have young guys like RJ Barrett are open. He's not getting the ball. It's—it's kind of tough to watch. But even the Mets last year, when they were down in the dumps before they made that run, they still looked like they were having fun and they had so much energy. And that's something that at least is always consistent with the Mets. Even when they're struggling, it seems like they always have guys that are at least having fun. No, exactly. Yeah, like what, like what Tyler's saying, like, like how him being a fraction of a Knicks fan. Like I'm a big, I'm a big Mets fan. He's a triple the Mets fan. I mean, so it's like kind of like the same aspect. So like you know, just put it that way. No, exactly. And like I said, like for example, like with the Lakers, if you see LeBron hitting an and one and he falls on the floor, the whole team comes over and helps him up. And it was the same thing with this Mets team last year. When someone hit a home run, everyone was outside of the dugout cheering them on. And I'm sure both of you guys can attest to that. And someone who I can see helping out that chemistry if he makes the roster and was added late as a free agent and got a spring invite was Eduardo Nunez, who I liked as a Yankee. What's your opinion on him, Tyler? He was a guy, I remember, uh, I don't know if it was like 16 or 17 when he went to the Red Sox. I mean, he was one of those guys, he was a good bat, and his defense was something that was a little bit of a concern. But he was a guy I think the Mets were kind of targeting in one of those years when they had a team that was potentially ready to make the postseason. I personally don't know too much about him. What I do know is that he was definitely a valuable bat on uh, some of those other teams. But, Dave, I think if you want to talk about him more, what did you like about him? Because I always knew that he was a good bat. I didn't know much about his defense. But he seemed like a guy that everyone wanted. And it's weird to kind of see him now as one of those dudes who you just pick up on a on – a, you just invite him to spring training and you give him a really small contract. But what did you like about him so much? Was it just the clubhouse presence you said? Well, I mean, yeah. He was on the Yankees probably about – I would say now it's like six or seven years ago. But he was just one of those guys who was a hustler. Like his helmet would always fall off when he was rounding the bases. Um, and he was just a clubhouse guy. It seemed like he would get along with a Robinson Cano. It seemed like he would get along with like a Melky Cabrera when he was here with the Yankees. So it's kind of like just like one of those players that who helps the culture and is a veteran in that locker room. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at his numbers right now, and his career, he's a 276 hitter, only 58 home runs, 309 RBIs. That's a, that's a very good uh, utility player's numbers right there. And aside from the last couple of years, I mean, as early as 2017 or as recent as 2017, he was a 313 hitter, uh, albeit he played in 114 games. 2018 and 127 games, still at 265. And then last year he had 228. So I think that's definitely a valuable bat regardless of what he did last year. So I definitely like the move. And like I said before, depth is always a thing the Mets need. And they're kind of eliminating some of these ifs, as Brody Van Wagenen loves to say. So you can't hate the move, especially when it's on such a small and team-friendly deal. No, definitely. And like on top of that all, it's like we don't know what Jed Lowry is going to be because he was injured all of last year after he signed a two-year $20 million yeah, contract. He has a prosthetic leg now, basically. Exactly. Steve, what's your opinion on Jed Lowry? Can we see him at all this year? What's your opinion? I mean, can we see him at all this year? I don't think that's a question I have the answer to. I mean, they said, <laughs> I mean, I don't think any of us have that have the answer to that question. They said it was only a minor injury going into the beginning of last year, and then he's out the entire year, and it's uh, he's, he's in a big brace under his baseball pants, it seems like. Like Todd said, it's like a prosthetic leg almost. It's really just big and bulky, um, and it's still kind of like a fishy situation almost. No one really knows, like outside of the Mets, like out for the general public, no one really knows, like, what the deal is with him. So I, he's pretty much just a question mark for me right now. No, definitely. And I think Jed Lauer and Eduardo Nunez, if he did make the roster, would obviously just be backups and for depth, like Tyler said. But now let's move on to Ahmed Rosario and Jeff McNeil. I think Jeff McNeil's a stud. 
Um, I listen to WFAN radio all the time with Joe and Evan, and they're huge Mets fans, probably just as big as Tyler. And they're constantly talking about the Mets, so I know a lot about the Mets because I feel like everyone on WFAN is Mets fans. Like, I feel like there's no Yankees fans. So basically what they were saying is they brought it up at one point. um, They were talking about the uh, Nolan Arenado was not happy with the Rockies, and they were saying, would the Mets go out and get him? And then Joe was saying, I would not trade – Jeff McNeil for him, and Evan was saying he would. Tyler, would you trade trade Jeff McNeil for uh, Nolan Arenado if it was possible or no? I think it also depends on the prospects that have to give up. I, I'm I love Nolan Arenado, and I, for whatever reason, I love third baseman. A lot of my favorite players that aren't Mets are third baseman for whatever reason. But as much as I like Nolan Arenado, I just feel like I'm not going to say that Jeff McNeil's a better player, but. As a Mets fan, I'm just so worried about making like trades when you remove major league talent for other major league talent. I think if Nolan Arenado came here, he'd still be as just about as good as he was in Colorado. I know the numbers would be inflated, and City Field's a bigger ballpark. But I think it also depends on the prospects you have to give up because we've obviously unloaded the past couple of years with the trades with Robinson Cano and Diaz and acquiring Stroman from the Blue Jays. I don't. I've said this on my podcast. I don't trust Brody Van Wagenen to make a package that's good for both sides. So I think if you give up Jeff McNeil and you get Nolan Arenado, I would be upset. I'd also be extremely happy. So I think it's certainly possible I would. I just don't know if I'd be willing to give up the prospects because we don't have too many. But uh, yeah, at the same time, Nolan Arenado in Queens would be amazing. Steve, what's your opinion on Med Rosario? What, what do you think we can see from him this year? Yeah, so uh, he definitely improved last year, and towards the end of last year, he started clicking once again. He was batting north of 280, I believe, 280, high 280s. Yeah. Um, and home runs were a little higher for him, which is still, you know, the teens, but it, you, that's what you take away. You look to see another jump from him, even though he, he's been progressing year after year. You hope to see that continue. Um, and then defensively, he makes some... He's, he's got a smooth, he's got smooth uh, mechanics, but he makes some bonehead plays here and there. So you hope to see that cleaned up as well. Um, so, I mean, looking for him, you just look for to see him improve being a young player who is once like the top prospect in baseball at one point. So. And the thing with uh, Rosario is uh, there was a point where he was actually a higher-rated prospect than Gleyber Torres was. I think yeah, that's what I was, yeah, that's what I was referring yeah. to, yeah. And... Clearly, Gleyber Torres has been the better player so far. And the way both their careers have gone, I think Gleyber Torres is going to be the better player. The thing about Ahmed Rosario is in 2018 and 2019, he's had not great first halves and fantastic second halves. And like we've talked about so many other Mets players, we just need to see him put that together. He's had a full season's worth of good play, but that has come in the second half of two separate seasons. So I think that... Based on the way he played last year, he improved off of 2018. I think we need to see the uh, I, we need to see the full package of Rosario this year. He's now had enough major league experience where we can't say he's inexperienced. He's played two full seasons with the Mets, so I think this is the year we're going to see the true Rosario, and I'm very excited for him because he, he was one of those dynamic guys. He was like one of those Jose Reyes types where he was just running around the bases, he was stealing bags, he was making backhanded plays, he was hitting balls in the gap. So I'm really excited for him too. You guys know my opinion on Glaber Torres. I absolutely love the kid. Yeah. Um, so let's go to the outfield now. Who would you say are the locks to make the opening day roster? And then we'll get to you on a Cespedes a little bit before we get to the Yankees. Uh, Steve, who do you think the locks are going to be? I mean, locks right now are obviously, like, I mean, I can really only just say Conforto just because Nimmo is having heart uh, uh, tests done on him. And Steve, your, yeah. Real quick, I, I don't like to interrupt you, but I actually like, literally just saw a tweet and uh, – yep. Nimmo's wife tweeted that Brennan is fine. The timing was inconvenient and caused a media okay. storm. He's healthy and feels great, which is good because that was okay, scary when good. I first yeah, I was that. I was more scared for his personal health than him being yeah. able to play center field. No, yeah, yeah, I think hard, it was just important to get out there. You don't screw with. Yeah, yeah. okay. So it but, seems uh, like he's good to go. That's good. Yeah. So, yeah, then I would say Conforto and right, Nimmo center. And then now there's another injury question of, you know, where, well, where does J.D. Davis play? Is it third? Is it left? And if it is left, what's up with his left shoulder? Um, they had an MRI done. It seems like there was limited inf- inflammation, and then they saw another injury in his labrum that he wasn't aware about. So we'll see what steps they take with that. And then Cespit is coming back. You don't know if he's going to be playing left field yet or not. I mean, he says he hopes to be on track to play this season, uh, but we'll see what, what transpires in the future with that. Tyler, who are your locks to make the opening day roster for the outfield? So Michael Conforto, obviously, he's been one of the backbones of the Mets lineup the past few years. 
Brandon Nimmo is going to be in there, whether he could be playing left if J.D. Davis is hurt or not, whether he's in center. And J.D. Davis, we don't know too much about his injury. If he still plays in spring training games and this is something minor, he'll be on the starting uh, – I don't know if he'll be in the starting lineup for sure, but he'll definitely be on the roster. And a couple of guys I want to talk about real quick. We have Jake Marisnik, who was acquired by Brody in the offseason. He is – think that could be a low, I think that could be a low-key move too, like a low-key yeah, move. Just like J.D. Davis last year from the Astros. Yeah, so uh, with Jake Marisnik, he's one of those Ligaris types, maybe with a little bit of a better bat, where he's phenomenal out in the outfield. He covers a lot of ground. His problem is just his bat. With Houston last year, he hit 233 in 120 games, which is nothing to desire as a team who wants to strengthen their offense, obviously. But he plays great defense, so we could see him out there getting subbed in the sixth and seventh inning with the lead. He's going to be on the roster, I think, but... He could always be one of those Keon Broxton type of things where if he plays for like 20 games and then he gets released and he gets mad at the Mets, I don't know. And then one other guy is Ryan Cordell, who if I'm being honest with you, I don't know much about. I believe Brody acquired him, and he was one of those guys who had uh, very limited time in the majors last year, so no one really thought about it. Uh, they thought about the move. He had 217 at-bats in 2019 in the majors, only hit 221 with a 645 OPS, which is certainly not uh, major league caliber, but spring training so far, he's really been taking advantage of his opportunities. He's hitting the hell out of the ball. He hit a home run yesterday, I believe. So he's a guy we have to watch out for because a little bit of a tricky outfield situation. And Ryan Cordell also plays good defense. I mean, honestly, I didn't know about the guy until I came into spring training. But he's a guy you have to look out for because uh, strengthening that bench is something that the Mets are really going to have to pay attention to. And based on spring training, he's done a very good job so far. So uh, if you guys hear that name more often, don't be surprised. I think he uh, has a little bit of success that we are waiting to be seeing. Good insight. Um, so do we see Johannes Cespedes making the opening day roster? Like Steve said, he claims he's healthy. Um, but look, if he makes the opening day roster, he gets that $5 million bonus. And we know the Wilpons, they're cheap. So even if he is healthy, the Mets might not let him be on the opening day rosters. Tyler, what's your opinion on that? Based on the videos I've seen and Eduardo Perez, who was a guy that was in the Mets managerial conversation, He's close with Cespedes. I don't know how that relationship works, but he said that Cespedes is going to be ready for opening day. Obviously, the Mets haven't said that yet because rightfully so. They have to evaluate him. They have to see what's going on with his health. But from the videos we've seen, I mean, he looks like he's ready to hit. He hit a base hit. That hype video? That, oh, my God, that hype video. I was instantly on the La Potencia train. But, uh, <laughs> We have to. I, we just have to see. He, he, there's no plans for him to play spring training games as of now. The Mets are always vague with how they assess injuries, like we've seen with Jed Lowry. But Dave, you actually made a very good point that people might not often think about. I think they're going to be incredibly cautious with Cespedes because of the money that he's owed. If he makes the roster, uh, the opening day roster, that is, he'll get five million dollars. I bet the Mets don't want to pay him that, but. Um, if he's hitting, get him in the lineup. Uh, he probably isn't able to play defense very well anymore, which is annoying because if we had the DH in here, we could have two or three potential DHs with yeah. J.D. Davis, Dom Smith, and Cespedes. But I don't know if he's going to be able to hold up defensively. That seems like the bulk of his injuries were either running the bases or playing outfield. But the bat oh, looks boy, like boy. it's ready. We're just going to have to see uh, if the Mets ever give us any information on the rest of his health. Especially over a serious amount of time. We don't know if he'll be able to keep that health up. But despite months of rumors of Mookie Betts and Starling Marte, the Mets really just ended up with some low-key signings. But look, they really could be beneficial throughout the season. I do think there's a lot of expectations for the Mets this season. But once again, the Yankees are in this town. So maybe that overshadows the Mets a little bit. So we'll see what happens. The Mets also went through two managers this uh, offseason. So we'll see what the new manager can do. But let's go on to the Yankees now. I don't know if you guys are as excited to talk about the New York Yankees. Maybe you guys are a little bit jealous about them. But uh, let's start with their bullpen. Tyler, what do you think of the Yankees' bullpen, which could be has been seen as their strength over the past couple years? That Yankees' bullpen, like you said before, it's definitely dominant. I mean, you have guys like Chapman. I know Chapman's getting a little older. Maybe he's not throwing in the 100-304 consistently like he did earlier with the Yankees, the Cubs, and the Reds. You have guys like Zach Britton. I think it says Luis Sessa is penciled in right there as one of the uh, guys in the bullpen. You have Chad Green. Um, Adam Montevino is a guy I really liked, and we saw in the postseason and towards the uh, stretch run last year, he wasn't as effective. That guy's got a wiffle ball slider where, I mean, that thing just moves like five or six feet in the strike zone. I like him a lot. I wanted the Mets to sign him over Familia last year, but yeah, like you said, that Yankees bullpen is very good. And I don't think, regardless of how they are, I don't think it's much of a concern in the regular season as much of this team really isn't because this is a roster that is, without a doubt, getting to the postseason. I think unless 
all of their nine starters get hurt, which even that basically happened last year. They still made the playoffs and won 100-plus games. I don't think they have to worry about much in the regular season, but, yeah, that bullpen is set up to be as good as it always has been. Steve, if we had to make one prediction who could be the standout candidate in the Yankees' bullpen, who would it be? Uh, I personally have always been in love with Chad Green and everything. You know, he's just a really a, a solid guy coming out of that bullpen. I mean, you got a bunch of solid guys from top to bottom almost. And then, like Tyler said, Adovino is a very utility, not utility, but he's got that that wiffle ball kind of pitch like he was talking about. He's got some good stuff. Uh, but yeah, I like I love Chad Green. When, whenever whenever I watch him pitch, he's just absolutely lights out. And I, you know, I would think he would continue that going forward. Yeah, definitely. I think one of the worst pains in baseball, and both of you guys could attest to this with the Mets, obviously, especially last year, is if your starter throws a quality game and your bats are rolling and you're scoring runs, but then the bullpen gives it up late. And that's something that hasn't been happening to the Yankees in the past couple of years because their bullpen has really been a strength of theirs. And they've been trying to go into the postseason just trying to bullpen games, but we've seen the past two years that it hasn't worked out in the postseason. Yes, in the regular season it has, but the postseason it, it really hasn't. And I don't know. There's guys in this uh, bullpen that are awesome. But once again, you never know who gets injured and who you bring into the postseason with. So let's go on to the starters now. Um, Tyler, we'll start with you with Garrett Cole. I mean, it's Garrett Cole. It's like a Jacob deGrom. I mean, they're always great. But what's your opinion on the signing for the Yankees? Obviously, it's going to be huge. Yeah, Garrett Cole, Jacob deGrom, they're 1A, 1B in the MLB. You could say, I like to say Jacob deGrom's the best pitcher in baseball just because he's won the last two Cy Youngs in the National League. Garrett Cole hasn't won one yet. Regardless, Garrett Cole had a better 2019 if we're looking at uh, pure numbers. And he's as good of a pitcher as you can get. The Yankees have been a team that's always wanted that ace. I know the past few years they had Luis Severino, who we'll talk about, I'm sure, in a second. But... Garrett Cole is one of those, he's that guy, he's that dog, you just put him at the top of the rotation, and now teams are probably afraid afraid to face the Yankees because they have a true solidified number one, and the only problem is there have been some injury concerns, obviously Luis Severino's not going to pitch this year, he's having Tommy John surgery, which is unfortunate because when Severino had pitched, he'd been really good, he had some uh, shaky starts like that 2018 wildcard game, I believe it was, against the Twins. Uh, ultimately, he rebounded. He, he's always a very good pitcher when he pitches. The only problem is his health the past couple of years. So James Paxton, maybe with shoulder or elbow, he's missing six to eight weeks. So that's a bit of a concern. So now you have guys like Masiro Tanaka, who he's been a great pitcher in the postseason. His regular season numbers aren't the best. He was last year, I believe, as a 4-4-5 ERA last year. It doesn't matter because when he got to the postseason, he pitched well. But right now, that rotation, you have Garrett Cole, Masahiro Tanaka, Jay Happ, Jordan Montgomery, and Jonathan Loisaga. That's not a very strong rotation. Those are still solid guys, aside from Garrett Cole, who's phenomenal. But I said this before. You have a roster, you have a lineup that's built to score so many runs, and you have a dominant bullpen that, regardless of whether or not the rotation's good or not, the thing you have to worry about is just getting those guys healthy for the postseason. As long as Paxson's good by the postseason, you're fine because this is a team that's going to make the playoffs. It's just a matter of what happens when you get there. So a little bit of concerns with the rotation, but ultimately, as long as you're healthy in the postseason, you'll be fine. Steve, I totally agree with everything Tyler just said, but what would your be opinion be on Garrett Cole? Would you take Garrett Cole or DeGrom right now? Um, first, I just want to build off Tyler. Another hit to the Yankees' starting rotation is Domingo Armand, who had the, he suspended 80, 80, 81 games, something like that, I believe. So that's another yeah. hit that they'll have to wait out for now. Um, once he comes back, we'll see what he can do. He had a good year last year. Uh, but to get to Cole or DeGrom, pers- I mean, no, no bias aside, I, I think Cole was the better pitcher last year. Aside from what DeGrom did, I think if I were to choose a guy, I'd have Cole going into this year. I'm going to go back with the Grom. I don't know what it is, but I, I, I'm not – I think Derek Cole is phenomenal, but I don't think he will be – he'll be still be very good, just not as great as he was last year on the Yankees. No, definitely, and I, it's funny. I was talking to one of our friends, Andy Bergeron, um, yesterday on the phone, and we were talking about the Yankees a little bit and talking about the Severino blow, and he'll be out for the whole season, as Tyler attested to that a little bit. But – it's one of those things where I think Luis Severino is in, he is injury prone. He's been shown to be injury prone in the past couple of years, and he really had one really great year. And besides that, I think he's just been kind of average. I think he's been overrated a little bit. So I think getting Garrett Cole was definitely huge. He's obviously a top three p- pitcher in baseball. Who would I take, Degrom or Garrett Cole? I would take Jacob Degrom. I think you guys know me well enough. I'm very honest with my teams. If it. If my team's not playing well, I'll tell you guys. If a player's not playing well, I'll tell you guys. 
So basically, is I don't see Severino as a really he is an X factor, but something that is going to ruin my season and like think the Yankees aren't going to make the postseason from it or something like that. Crazy, but. I do think Garrett Cole is a huge addition. It's something that you're going to tune in once every five days to watch, just like you guys do with DeGrom, because you know you can see something special every time he hits the mound. Dave, uh, real quick, also about that DeGrom-Cole conversation. Another important thing is, one, Cole's making a lot more money, so if you're going to talk about it in that way, DeGrom's on a little bit more of a team-friendly deal. At the same time, Garrett Cole is younger, and the thing with DeGrom is he's been consistently fantastic his whole career. I think his worst career year was... 2017, and he was like a three-flat ERA, something like that. And, what, uh, and wasn't Syndergaard a stud that year? Yeah, that was the year Syndergaard was a 2-6 pitcher, and he got the notch for the wildcard game. I think DeGrom was also hurt, so he couldn't pitch, but regardless, Syndergaard was a better pitcher. He was a 2017 opening day starter. DeGrom's highest ERA in his career is a 3-5-3 three, three in 2017. Still very good, just not DeGrom numbers. Aside from that, lowest ERA is a 3-0-4, whereas Garrett Cole in 2017, he was a 4-2-6 ERA pitcher. 2016, he was a 3-8 pitcher. So, obviously, Cole's put it together the past couple years, and I think that's the truest version of Cole we'll see. But ultimately, DeGrom has the better body of work because he's done it consistently as the two Cy Youngs. But you really can't go wrong with either of the guys. And I think Yankees fans and Mets fans should both respect how good they both are. I totally agree with you. And, like, in my opinion, I think the Yankees got – I think they do have depth within their starting pitchers. They got some young guys that they could bring up if they wanted to. But as you guys know and everyone knows in, in the tri-state area, the Yankees have the resources to make anything happen, whether it's during the trade deadline or finding a diamond in the rough. You know they'll be able to find a starting pitcher if they need to. So that's why I feel like you never need to freak out if you're a Yankee fan. Usually everything is going to be okay. Not meaning World Series, but it's like usually you're going to be able to make the playoffs, and it's nice to have that every once in a while. But let's go on to the catching position now. It's Gary Sanchez and Kyle Higuashoka. I think I pronounced that right. His nickname, Higgy, Higgy. but um, look, we got rid of Austin Romine. He left. He walked in free agency. He went to the Tigers on a two-year deal, I believe, but um, you guys know this too, and everybody knows this, is Gary Sanchez can be very good, and he can be very bad at the same time, and can be very lazy, so I saw this year that he changed his catching stance, but who knows what he'll do at the plate this year. Steve, what's your opinion? What do you think we can see out of Gary, Gary Sanchez this year? Yeah, like you said, he has he has he's notoriously been kind of questioned on his effort. Um, he's he's a streaky hitter as well, but he's a lot of power. Defensively, he's not the best, so it's like you're almost taking a little bit of a trade off. You said he uh, changed his stance behind the plate, so hopefully that improves his difficulties with blocking balls and staying in front of you know uh, balls in the dirt and things of that nature. So uh, I, if I were to assume how he would perform this coming year, I think we, he will improve from next year. I think most people would assume that, but who knows. No, definitely. Tyler, would you attest to that? Yes, but first of all, I want to get a sound recording that I can keep of you pronouncing Kyle Higashioka's name. I think that would be pretty funny for me to have, but uh, regardless, no. So, Gary Sanchez, I think I was at, I think it was actually Luis Severino's debut in 2016, maybe it was. And it was 16 or 17, I was at a game when Gary Sanchez was on that streak where he just kept hitting home runs. Hit in, uh, he played in 53 games in 2016. He had a 1032 OPS, which is far more than elite. I mean, that's best catch with MLB numbers. He can be that kind of bat. Last year, he was just kind of inconsistent. He ended up finishing a 232 hitter. He also hit 34 home runs, 77 RBIs in only 106 games. So when he's playing, he always has a high volume of power. It's just he has to stay consistent. He has to stay healthy. And the defense improved last year. I know 2018 in the playoffs even, there was some times where he had trouble blocking balls. But I think Gary Sanchez is one of those guys. He's a huge talent. And I think he's going to perform well this year. I don't know how well he's going to do. I think it's hard to match that 2016 stretch he had. But I think Gary Sanchez is still a young player. I think he's going to improve and he's going to continue to improve. No, yeah, even when he's not playing his best, he's obviously still a top echelon catcher at the plate. So, you know, the catching position really doesn't produce great hitters all the time. So, we look to the infield position. I mean, Mel Miguel Andujar might be switching to the outfield, which might be good. And you got other players that were studs last year, such as a D DJ LeMahieu or a Glaber Torres or a Giro Urshela. I mean, what's your opinion on the infield, guys? What do you think? So... Yeah, so Gio Rochella was one of those guys. He had one of those J.D. Davis-type years. Like, it was almost like, who, t who told this guy he could be good? Like, he kind of just came out of nowhere, and he hit really well. He's 314 hitter, 21 home runs, 74 RBIs, and 889 OPS, which is very good. I think he's in that J.D. Davis situation where he can – he's still going to perform. I just don't know if he's going to perform as well. And then Glaber Torres is a bona fide 
star. DJ LeMay, he was always going to hit 300 wherever he plays. Luke Voigt's a guy who started off well, and injuries kind of held him back. Still finished 263 average, 21 home runs, 62 RBIs. He's another one of those great moves that Cashman always makes where he just comes out of nowhere and he just becomes a very good player. But overall, I have a very solid infield. I think the Yankees, the only thing that could hold them back is the potential boom and bust potential of that lineup. I mean, guys like Stanton, when they hit, sometimes are inconsistent. He's obviously injured for a good amount of time. And guys like Judge, we know he can get cold. But I think the way that infield is built with Gio Urshela, Gleyber Torres, DJ LeMahieu, you guys have plenty of 280 to 300 type hitters, which is good for consistency. And then Miguel Andujar didn't play last year, really. He had the uh, torn labrum, I believe it was. Uh-huh. He's coming back. And yeah, 47 at-bats last year, hit 128, which we're not going to look at that. In 2018, you know, he got the name Mickey Two Bags for a reason. He's very good. I think he's going to help that lineup a lot. So definitely lots to look forward to with those guys. Yeah, when Andujar and Gleyber Torres Gleyber. broke onto the scene, I absolutely love both of those guys. I just I think they're great at the plate. They had discipline when they first stepped into the major leagues. And I think I love DJ LeMahieu. I was listening to an interview that he had a couple days ago on Joe and Evan, and he, he just has the personality of a Yankee. He's very low-key, and he just goes about his business. And I think that's awesome to have a player like that that's a veteran. Steve, would you attest to that? Uh, yeah, and just b- b- building off of what Tyler said about the infield, I'm still shocked that Luke Voigt isn't on steroids because, my God, it looks like he is. <laughs> he is um, huge. He's huge. Uh, yeah, LeMay, Le- 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 Torres, their shoe-ins, and then Urshela is, is, yeah, he's one of those guys, like, where did he come from? And he's just batting 300, and it's and it's like you got that with, you know, Mike Ford is solid as well, and then, you know, Mike Talkman in the outfield is, you know, he's one of those guys where you can just sub in and he'll hit. So it's, you know, they got a bunch of these guys that you can just kind of plug in and they'll produce for you, which is great to have on a a championship level team. Definitely. I mean, I think it's awesome to have Gio Urshela. Let's just say he doesn't start one day, but it's awesome to have him on the bench to bring in late in games to, to play defense because he's a great defender at third base. He really is. So let's get to the outfield now a little bit. We got Clint Frazier, Brett Gardner, Aaron Judge, and Stanton, who obviously just went down, and he will he's in question to start opening day. So it's really big that we still have Clint Frazier with the Yankees. Uh, Tyler, what do you think about Clint Frazier? Let's start with him. So Clint Frazier's he's a little bit controversial in the sense that he, he doesn't strike me as a Yankee because he's one of those guys. He's kind of fiery. He's a little bit he's a little cocky, which I'm totally fine by. In fact. Before this whole cheating thing, Bregman was one of my favorite players. He was very cocky. I like Juan Soto a lot. I like the swag he plays with. Glenn Frazier's kind of like that, but for all the antics, it seems like he's had some problems out in the outfield. And whether he thinks he should be on the team or not, is uh, I think that's different uh, based on what each individual fan thinks. But even if he's not playing for you, I think this is the year where if he's not playing, just trade him because you can get serious value out of him. He's a very good bat when he plays. His problem is his defense. He could be a DH in the American League for sure. So if you're talking just from Frazier, I think that this is the final year that the Yankees have to assess him, whether they want him on their team or not. If they don't have him, they have plenty of options in the outfield. And if they want him, they need to get him to play because he's a really good hitter. Most definitely, because I think if Giancarlo Stan was healthy to start the season, I think Clint Frazier would be the odd man out and he'd be left off the roster. And it's very important to remember, Tyler, obviously you know this, but as for the people that listen to our show, it's now 26 people on a roster. So it's really going to be 13 fielders and then 13 pitchers. And it's it's like with the Yankees, you already have so many options back there. Like you said before, you have your Mike Talkmans, you have even like a guy like Tyler Wade, you know, Clint Frazier, uh, Mike Ford. Miguel Andujar could be he's probably slotted as a DH right now and Voigt will play first if Stanton's down. So you guys definitely have some options. But like you said, with the roster expansion, Clint Frazier could be in the picture, especially because um, he was one of those guys that was kind of the odd man out. He floated between AAA and the majors. And you have some guys in there, like I said, with Stanton and even Aaron Judge, who have shown that they can get injured very easily. So I think regardless, just based on the combination of certain injury-prone players in the team and the size of the roster now, I think Lynn is going to have to make an impact at some point in the season, whether you like it or not. Definitely. So, so you don't think that they would look to move Frazier at any point in the season? I think they certainly could, and I think any team that's trading with the Yankees is probably going to want him on top of some of their pitching prospects, mm-hmm. like uh, let's take a Debbie Garcia or Debbie Garcia or something like that. But I think they could move him. What I said before was this is a year that, in my opinion, Frazier's kind of been in this position the past few years. Either the Yankees 
trade him and get someone for him or they get prospects for him or they find a way to get him into the team because he's a guy who could definitely hit at the major league level. We don't know about his defense, but I think this is the final year they really have to decide what they're going to do with him. I think both of you guys would agree that you definitely could package a Clint Frazier and a young uh, stud prospect, a pitcher-wise, and if the Yankees need to go get out, go get a pitcher, starting pitcher now, they really could if they wanted to. Yes, yeah, much. Definitely. So let's get to the last conversation on the Yankees, and that's Giancarlo Stanton. Look, I've been a big supporter of Giancarlo Stanton so far this year in the past couple years. Like, people have been getting on him because he hasn't had that Yankees moment yet because he's been injured so much, and he hasn't shown up in the postseason. And on top of that, he was injured in Game 6 last year of the postseason against the Astros when they got eliminated, obviously. I don't know. I'm still supporting him, but it's starting to get hard. What is your thoughts on that, Tyler? So Giancarlo Stan had that 2017, I believe it was, in Miami where he just just obliterated the entire league. I think he finished 59 home runs, something like that. 59. Since then, I mean, his first year with the Yankees, he was beat up a little bit. And if I remember correctly, he was still like a 270 hitter with like 34 home runs and somewhere around 100 RBIs, which is very good. He hasn't had, like you said before, Giancarlo Stan in the Bronx. When that trade happened, we thought that this was going to be a guy who was in the MVP conversation every year. Since then, uh, since that trade in 2018, hasn't really panned out, and he hasn't been an X factor for them. I think if he was always healthy, he would have helped a lot. But I don't know what to think about that. And now Stan's one of those guys he has the opt-out in his contract. I don't know if that's this year or like after next year or after a couple of years whatever. But at first you were thinking maybe if Stanton – keep producing the way he did in 2017 he would opt out and get another mega deal with another team but with his injury history right now it seems like he's gonna stay with the yankees so it seems like you guys are still stuck with him for the next nine or ten years as long as you get him on the field he'll produce i know he can strike out a lot and kind of contributes to that boomer bust offense i was talking about but he's a talent and i think just the game of baseball as a whole needs him and it's unfortunate to see him down already definitely steve would you attest to that and would you do you think stan could be a factor for the yankees this season or do you think the yankees shouldn't even worry about him yeah, so, I mean, when they made that move, like Tyler was saying, it looked to be like a game-breaking sort of trade. Like, he came off one of the most historic home run hitting seasons that we've seen recently. Um, and he had a solid year after that, uh, barring some injuries. And now he played, what, 20 games last year or something like that? And then now we're going into this year, he's already hurt. And then we don't know if he's going to be ready for spring training. Like, look, he can't stay on the field over the past two years. He's a huge guy who swings with all his power. So it's, And he's getting a little older. So you kind of question if he'll if he'll be able to have an, to have a factor with this program going forward. I would think that he does get healthy. I don't think this is one of those things where he's going to be hurt throughout the entire. I don't think it's going to be Jed Lowry sort of spring injury last the entire year, just because that doesn't happen to the Yankees. That only happens to the Mets. Right. But, um, but yeah, I think he will have an impact later on in the year. It's just like, man, it's got to be so frustrating from a Yankees fan perspective to see this stud of a player not be able to be out on the field. No, yeah, it's definitely frustrating me because I, root, I rooted for him even before he was a Yankee. I just think he's a great ball player, and sadly, injuries have been getting to him in the past couple of seasons. So the last thing we're going to talk about on this today's podcast is we're going to get to the five most intriguing storylines. We got Tyler for this. Tyler, let's start it off with you. I'm just going to give you one, and it's obviously it's going to be the Astros. And we're going to see what happens with the Astros when they're up at bat this year and they're in opposing uh, ballparks, how they get booed, how they're perceived. So now you take it away. So as someone who's on a – I have a baseball podcast, obviously we've said that, and I'm on a baseball show here at Penn State at the radio. So we talk about the Astros nonstop, and I like that this is an all-sports podcast, so like everything I say will kind of sound fresh to you guys at least because I feel like I've been beating a dead horse on my other shows. But <laughs> the Astros, I liked a lot of those players. I mean, we thought that they built that organization the right way. They were in the National League. They were terrible. They came to the American League. 2015, they made the postseason. 2016 – uh, I believe they might have. I'm not sure. 2017, they won the World Series. You know the rest. Whatever. I like that team. They built the right way. They were using analytics. They turned Garrett Cole, Justin Verlander, um, even guys like uh, Charlie Morton, who's now with Tampa Bay. I mean, they turned these guys into studs, and everything they're doing seemed right. And then, boom, we find out they're cheating. And there was this huge just outburst in the MLB. I mean, we were around – we were in January, and we were talking uh, a little bit of – like. I mean, college football stuff and, you know, the NFL the playoffs were in full swing. And everyone was talking about baseball, which is the first time it's ever happened. The bottom line is Astros are still a very good team. I know they lost um, Garrett Cole to the Yankees, who is a direct competitor, which is problematic. 
as good as the roster is, I think both of you guys, as former baseball players at the high school level, can attest to it. As much as the media pressure is there, there's so much other pressure. Just every game, you're going to be booed at every game, even if it's a home game. Your backs are against the wall. Nobody's rooting for you except for the hardcore Astros fans. So that's going to be a hard season in that aspect. And you guys know baseball is a mental game. I know if I made an error sometime, you know, I thought I was the worst fielder on the field. You know, you strike out once, you think you suck at hitting again. With these Astros guys, they're always getting booed. It's going to be hard for them to dig out of that trench. And not only that, they lost their GM, and they have a new manager in Dusty Baker who has a good managing pedigree. He's never won a World Series. And I think that was a good move on their part. They just need a guy to answer the questions, a veteran who's been around it. But all I'll say is, however good that Astros roster still is, I don't know how they can make a run at the World Series this year just because they have probably the biggest black cloud around them that we've seen in sports history in maybe a long time, if not ever. Definitely. So let's go. We got four more. What do you got? So this is one that I kind of thought of right before we, uh, right before I came on the show. And I want to talk a little bit about Bryce Harper and Manny Machado because last offseason, they were the two big names. You know, whatever team they went to, you know, we were going to watch them all. And they both had good seasons. None of them had fantastic seasons or seasons that are up to par with them. Bryce Harper is in that division. They have a lot of good pitchers out there. You know, he was a national. He was good last year. He wasn't great. I think we need to talk about them just because if you guys you guys might agree with this. We've kind of forgotten about them now that they signed their big deals and like, all right, whatever. You know, this year we had such a good free agent class with Cole and Wheeler and Strasburg, all those guys. I want to focus on them because Manny Machado's in a team that's almost ready to compete and Bryce Harper's in a team that has World Series aspirations in the NL East. So I think they're important because I think they're both going to bounce back and have big years. You know, they both moved from franchises that they were they were homegrown at. Obviously, Machado was traded to the Dodgers for half the season, but he was always an Orioles. Harper was always a national. I think there's definitely a mental aspect of for Machado moving across the country to play in a new team in a new city and Harper to go to a division rival. But I think now that these guys are settled in, I think they're both going to put up seasons that we used to see them and I just said on my podcast before that I predict Bryce Harper to be at least in the top three for the NBA International League and I think Machado should be in that similar uh, category I think they're both going to be all-stars and I just want to talk about them because I, I honestly forgot about them a little bit but they're still huge stars in our game so definitely looking for them to have good years this year. No definitely I think Bryce, I would have loved to see Bryce Harper in a Yankees uniform I just he would have been great in that ballpark even Manny Machado would have been too I both could have seen them as Yankees but um, alright on to number three so, number three is a bit of an interesting one. I want to talk about the teams that have gotten a lot stronger this offseason, uh, especially teams that hadn't competed in recent years. So, number one, we have a team that I'm super high on, the Cincinnati Reds. And that's for the reason that the teams around them didn't do anything to get better. If we look at the Cubs, they're a team that's been in the postseason, uh, aside from last year, and they haven't done much, haven't made any moves. In fact, they lost Cole Hamels to the Braves. Uh, and then you look at a team like the St. Louis Cardinals. The St. Louis Cardinals won the division last year, and they lost one of their more productive hitters, Marcelo Zuna, who's also going to the Braves. And those are the two. And even the Milwaukee Brewers, they went to the postseason. Obviously, they blew a lead to the Nationals at Nationals Park. None of those teams have really done anything to improve. In fact, the Brewers lost Travis Shaw and Mike Moustakis, who are two big players for them that are now on other teams. If you look at the Reds, they've done a lot so they have Luis Castillo, Sonny Gray, and Trevor Bauer. Those are all guys who could be number one starters in any rotation. Not any rotation, but they could all be number ones in their rotation. I mean, Luis Castillo's got a ridiculous changeup. Sonny Gray was top five or top ten in Cy Young conversation last year. Trevor Bauer, as kooky as he is, that guy's really good. He's got some filthy stuff. Then you look around the diamond. If you Eugenio Suarez, who quietly had 49 home runs last year, Mike Mustak is going to play some second base. Joey Votto, he... Uh, was in a little bit of a decline last year, but then you have some bats. Nick Castellanos out there has always been a hitter. Nick Senzel has been a hitter. Uh, he's a young guy who's lots to look forward to. And then you have some uh, bullpen weapons. You have Rusty Iglesias, um, Amir Garrett. We saw again that big brawl last year for Michael Lorenzen. So that's one team. And then another team I want to talk about, you have the Diamondbacks. They signed uh, Madison Bumgarner, obviously, and they have guys like Atel Marte out there. They'll be good. And the White Sox did a lot this offseason. I don't think they're going to make the postseason, but they have a very good team. If you look around the diamond, they have Yosemite Grandal. They have uh, Jose Abreu. You know, they have Jan Moncada, uh, Michael Kopech, Lucas Giolito, Tim Anderson. There's a lot of talent on that team. So I want to talk about those because those are teams we have to look out for this year. They could potentially make runs in their respective divisions or at least in their wild card race. Definitely. Steve, we didn't talk about this at all. 
But what, what's your opinion on the NL East as a whole? We know they're going to be really strong. Who do you think is the biggest threat to the Mets as a Mets fan? I think it has to be Braves, hands down. I think they're I think they're probably the most intimidating team out of the bunch, and it's and it's a very contested pack. Uh, but if I were to choose, I mean, I think, excuse me. No, you're good. Keep going. Okay. Uh, I thought that was Dave. I was about to bring something up. But, um, yeah, I, I definitely think the Braves are the biggest threat to the Mets uh, making winning that division. I think the Phillies will be good. Um, I don't think they'll be as good. Be curious to see how Strasburg is throughout the year. But I, if I were to choose throughout the whole contested NL East, I would go um, with the Atlanta Braves to be the, the biggest competition. And Dave, I was actually going to talk about the NL East as my number four point. Because, <laughs> like, I mean – any baseball fan knows that's probably one of, if not the best division in baseball. Steve, you answered the question well. I think the Braves are still the best team in that division, especially considering they won the National League East last year. Now, granted, the Nationals won the World Series from the National League East, but if you look at the Nationals, they had an offense that was pretty good, and they just got hot. I mean, they were, as I think they were like 17 and 30 to begin the year last year, and they just ran an incredible hot streak. They lost Anthony Rendon, who I've said on the podcast before. You love I was, in terms of players the Mets faced that scared me, Rendon was always number one, him and Freddie Freeman. Every time Rendon got in the box, I just felt like he was going to destroy us. And that's a huge piece they lost. And they signed Strasburg back, so they have that. But that's basically the same team as last year with a little bit of bullpen help, but they lost their best hitter. And not only that, the guy replacing him is a guy named Carter Keeboom, who's their biggest prospect. And the problem is he came up last year for a little bit, didn't hit too well. And he has to step into a big role. He's going to be a starter. He's going to be their third baseman, most likely. And he has to fill in the shoes of Anthony Rendon as a huge loss. So Nationals and the Braves are the two biggest teams right there. I'm not too concerned about the Phillies. Uh, I think they're still good. They have Aaron Nola. They have Zach Wheeler, who I don't think is a bona fide number two or a bona fide number one, considering the money he's being paid. But they still have a pretty good roster out there. They have Joe Girardi, who's a fantastic manager. They brought in D.D., expecting Reese Hoskins to bounce back. So that was my number four, Dave. Uh, the National League East is going to be really good this year. I think four teams could potentially win it. Definitely. Well, all right, well, on to your final point. Who we got? The biggest decision. Number five. I want to have a little fun with this one. I was a year off. I want to talk about the Subway Series, World Series we're getting in 2020 because Mets and Yankees are playing each other in the World Series. You heard it here first. How about that? <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> hopefully. That'd be so fun. That'd be really Imagine. fun. We would, dude, we would watch, I know we'd be in college, but oh my God, we'd be texting each other all the time. I think it's very possible. Uh, uh, we ha- about, we'd have to meet up. We'd have, we'd have to meet crazy. up for a game or something. But if we're just talking about the expectations for both of those teams, Dave is a big Yankee fan. It's World Series or bust for you guys. you got to at least make it there. Uh, you know, that's been your biggest goal the past few years. I know 2017, no one expected you guys to do anything, and you were a couple hits, you know, a couple pitches away from making the World Series in 2017. Uh, and then 2018 or 19, you know, you had some good teams. You fell a little bit short. But now with the addition of Garrett Cole, assuming Paxson come back, comes back and produces, you get a healthy Aaron Judge most of the season. I think you guys have to get there. I know that's a bigger mountain to climb for the Mets. But like we are saying before, if they pitch man, that Mets team can go anywhere. If you have a team like DeGrom, you have Syndergaard coming back, and Stroman. Just imagine Stroman pitching game one in a series at City Field or like game three or four at City Field. That would be electric. I think it's possible more so on the Yankees' perspective, but I, th- I think that's the dream scenario for not only us, but I think a lot of baseball fans would love to see the Subway Series, World Series. That'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. I think all three of us would love it. I have a quick guest on right now, and he's going to ask both of you guys a question. It's none other than Big Will. Big Will. Big Will. Steve and Tyler, how you doing? Doing well. How are you? All right, one quick question here. So it goes to Steve first because Tyler talks too much. But it's about That's why I'm on here. It's about your school. So between West Virginia and Penn State, you got one minute each. Steve goes first. Tell me what's best about it. Uh, West Virginia, the, the spirit here is absolutely insane. I mean, I know Tyler would probably say the same thing, but it's like everyone, what, the thing about West Virginia is they don't have a pro team in anything, so all of their college sports are just it's their pro team, so everyone roots for them. There's really no other like rival within the state of West Virginia because there's literally nothing else in the state of West Virginia. Uh, it's a lot of fun, and the sports, the sports programs along with it have been solid, and they're, that's a big part of their culture. So, yeah, I mean, and it's an okay education, you know. Penn State's probably got me there. Awesome. All right, Tyler, you have 25 seconds. Yeah, no, I actually have my clock up. First of all, Big Will, uh, it's nice talking to you. You know, I haven't talked to you guys. I haven't seen the fam in a while. I'm going to be back in about a week, so I want to come uh, see the family. You know, I want to see Max the most. He's, he's my favorite in the family. But, uh, you like but the, I think furbo. Also this, <laughs> the furbo. Is the furbo is the greatest thing ever made. But 
Uh, as I only have seven or eight seconds, I'm also going to say the culture here. I mean, going through a game, uh, just seeing everybody wear white. Like Steve said, we're in the middle of Pennsylvania, so there's Philly fans and there's Pittsburgh fans. But bottom line is, our culture on game day here is unlike anything I've ever seen. And just from like the we are and everything else, you just have a student body that's just proud to be here and the faculty's proud to be here. So that's my favorite part about it. Uh, I don't want to go into too much because I'm probably already another 20 seconds over like I always do. Yeah, I'm my father's son, so that's what happens. I hate no, no question about it. Well, thanks, guys. We miss you. We wish you all the best there. So you know what? What would my response be to you guys? Really? 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 <laughs> Talk to you guys later. Peace, right, well, thanks. I'll see you soon. All love. All right, so we just had that was my dad, Big Will. That's his nickname, was just on the show. But uh, that's look, his real name, Big Will. <laughs> but look, today was a great episode. Uh, we're so glad we could have Tyler on to speak baseball because he knows a little bit more than us relating to Mets, Yankees. Maybe not Yankees for me, but Mets and regular baseball, and uh, probably the Yankees too. But uh, you guys, you, you were great today, Tyler. I'm sure we'll have you on monthly, maybe in a shorter spot, just to recap monthly baseball. Um, Every month leading up to the postseason and into the postseason. And I'm sure in the summer we'll have you on even for more, just like NBA or anything else like that. Uh, it was great talking to you guys. Um, me and Steve will be back next Thursday. We will have Andy Bergeron on in two weeks to talk college basketball. And next week we'll preview NFL free agency. Thanks so much, guys, and we'll talk to you later.